Welcome to the Historical Wisdom Podcast, where we share stories of health, healing, medicine, and the histories that frame Native American experience, particularly for tribes and Native people in Riverside and San Bernardino counties, California. Each segment will explore different aspects of what historical trauma means to Native American communities and the healthcare providers who serve them. We share this knowledge with you from the perspective that to understand the history and strengths of Native Americans and how policy and institutions of medicine work, we can improve the delivery of healthcare and human well-being. For Chihun Piyonkinach, a Gathering of Good Minds project, I'm Juliette McMullen, and we share with you historical wisdom. We're glad to have Professor Clifford Trafser here with us today for our Historical Wisdom podcast. And so I'm going to talk with Professor Trafser about um, policies around Native American uh, land treaties, as well as what those mean for Native health today. Um, Would you like to introduce yourself? Oh, thank you. So my name is Cliff Trafser. I uh, have been at the University of California, Riverside since 1991. I came here as Director of American Indian Studies and a Professor of Ethnic Studies, uh, helping to start that that part of Ethnic Studies that became uh, Native Studies. And then I had a a joint appointment with the History Department as well. I'm a historian of Native American history and a student of Native American history. And I've lived in California since 1982. I grew up in Arizona and uh, had an interest all my life in Native history because of my mother and my grandfather being of mixed blood. And my mother had always taught us that wherever you were, you were in Indian country and you ought to know something about the people there. So since living in California, I've I've focused my research on California Indians while maintaining my um, relationship with the Indian people of the Northwest Plateau and continue to do research with them. Also, my, uh, my research interest is in medical history, the, the uh, intersection of Western medicine coming among the tribes. I'm interested in power and uh, what medicine really means among the Indian tribes of the United States and the Americas and how uh, so much of their um, health is based on um, spiritual medicine that's uh, tied to dance, that's tied to music and song, ceremony, relationship with the environment. Yeah, oh, that's so wonderful. I mean, because it's so critical. People like to separate medicine off as something different, but to recognize. People think of uh, native medicine only as herbal medicine, Mm -hmm. which certainly is true and lives today in all the native communities that I know of. So uh, that that survives, but what people do not know is this spiritual connection with the environment, with the land, with the creation, and how that uh, influences uh, people historically. I always feel that that is the foundation of our understanding of any tribe, understanding something about their traditional stories, mm-hmm. uh, creation songs. So, yeah. yes. Yeah, and so that link to the land is so important for what we were going to focus on today. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and your health is, is based on your relationship with the earth and these places. 
This is um, this is extremely important that that your sacred mountain, your sacred places, your former village sites, your graves of your your people, that they are all cared for, and that's in accordance with the laws that came to the people at the beginning of time about how to act and interact, not just with each other, but also with animals, with plants, with water, and then to take care of it. You you as a human being were expected to take care of the land because that is your place. You were supposed to take care of the graves of your people. And then when there's disjointing, uh, disjointing uh, that takes place historically, that uh, can harm the people's um, health. Uh, they, they were obligated to do these things to take care of the earth and yet the roads go in, the mines have gone in, uh, the water is depleted, uh, farms overrun certain areas. So that has an effect on human um, health. Extremely important yeah. that yeah. most people just simply don't understand. Mm -hmm. How do some of the, or what is a federal policy that was enacted that really kind of disrupted those relationships? Well, the United States was created on unification. And yes, there were 13 states, and the states were being added uh, afterwards. And there is always tension between state and federal government even after the Civil War when, when there was that struggle. But there is a unified uh, body making decisions where in Native communities, often the, the, the various areas or under certain leaders, that there is division uh, naturally within the Native communities. So when the Constitution was created and uh, or the, the Revolutionary War before the Constitution, um, People were extremely independent, Native folks, in deciding what they would do, whether they would side with the United States or the British or the French in the past or the Russians or the Spanish, but not all people agreed. So there was not this unification of government as we think today. And that was Im important because as the United States created the Constitution and the laws that came out of Congress and, and out of the executive branch, that that was a unified uh, policy that came by a, a single government uh, over all of these folks. And so the reaction of uh, the Iroquois might be different than the Delaware, might be different from Creeks, mm -hmm. might be different from Choctaws and so on. There is that natural division. Of course, the Constitution um, uh, created um, or, or recognized the tribes as foreign nations. We're not recognized uh, until the, the, the 1830s as domestic dependent nations, which changed yeah. their status from foreign to domestic. Yeah. And, and yet the United States said it had power over the tribes and that the tribes were living within the United States. So when the, the Cherokee Nation case came forward, for example, um, John Marshall was arguing that you could not have a nation within the nation, I mean a, a sovereign, independent, totally different nation, or otherwise the Irish would set up their independent nation within the United States, and the Germans would do the same thing, and so on, that various groups, and that would be divisive. Mm -hmm. But that had uh, dramatic implications for the tribes to change the status from foreign to domestic dependent. So removal is a very early thing that happens in American history, whether it was the, the Removal Act of 1830 or it was before when people might 
remove on their own account just to get away from the chaos that uh, was happening in Ohio mm -hmm. or Pennsylvania or Indiana and just moving west to get away. Mm -hmm. So um, the tribes here in California, were they also uh, being pushed out, taken off their land? Well, or it, California, California is a unique example because mm -hmm. um, this, when the Spanish arrive, uh, they, they're bent on establishing the, the mission systems and the presidios and civilian areas called pueblos. And, and they, they came to the Americas in part to hold off the Russians who were coming down south, as well as the British who had showed up on the California coast. And this is called defensive expansionism, mm. that defensively the, the, uh, the crown is supporting the missions coming north out of Baja California and then into Alta California. And then, and then in order to maintain a mission population, the S Spanish soldiers are out gathering people and forcing them into the mission system because many Indian people refused to stay in the missions. Uh, the missions were highly regulated. Um, there, was, there were bells that were used. You know, we talk about the mission bells as if it's something positive, but the bell would ring at a certain time of day and you were supposed to rise and begin. And then you uh, have prayers, then you're working, then you have breakfast, then everything is relate, uh, regulated by the bells. Mm -hmm. And this is a, a, a living style that was so uh, different from Native America from what California Indians had known. So people, some people became Christians and wanted to be a part, but others uh, did not want to be a part of this mission system, which is tied to the Spanish Empire. And then also the, the Pueblos uh, and, the, um, and the forts come at the same time, the Presidios. And difficulties arise immediately because the Spanish um, Spanish settlers did not bring a, a number of women with them. And so um, it, um, the Spanish soldiers and settlers sometimes would take advantage of uh, Native American women, mm -hmm. sometimes marrying people, sometimes not marrying mm -hmm. people. And then that causes clash and, and uh, problems. That's a different scenario than we saw on the East Coast mm -hmm. where there were some, some missions, but they, they were different and uh, not state-supported. Okay. They were religiously supported. But a lot of this is about taking people from out there in their, in their villages and then forcing them into this, um, this particular place, which, which happened with the reservation systems as well, mm -hmm. of taking diverse people, sometimes people who speak different languages, who don't get along with each other, who have familial difficulties with each other, and then trying to force them onto a, a single place. Mm -hmm. and, and that creates problems. The missions were a, an economic institution as well as a religious institution, and Native Americans were doing the work here. They, there are families still who remember their people and the stories of their family in the mission systems, whether positive or negative, that uh, I, I've heard from people saying, well, if this happened so long ago in the, in the, in the 18th, early uh, 19th century, that the native people could not possibly remember, but they remember and have wonderful details mm -hmm. to share about what happened. Mm -hmm. And even, even our, our local people, the Serranos, uh, were taken uh, out of the high desert uh, to San Fernando Mission, 
Uh, some of them were, were hauled in there. The Kuiyas were taken. Now, the missions weren't out this way, but the, the soldiers would come out and gather people and then mm -hmm. take them and into the them. missions. Mm -hmm. And it was a, a, this was a, a way to force people to, to stay within the missions or you would be punished. Mm -hmm. Those tensions still exist today mm -hmm. uh, in the minds of people. It's mm -hmm. part of the trauma that, that we would think it's so far gone, you know, right. forget it, leave it alone. But that's not the case. People right. carry that within their families mm -hmm. and within their heart. Yeah. Uh, some people say it's blood memory. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it stays with you. And like you said, you, those stories continue on and people know and they remember. Well, and they've been taken from their land and the, the relationships that they have and being able to care. And then speaking yeah. of the land, yeah. uh, we must re always remember that all of the native economies collapsed because of settlement. Mm -hmm. This is really important. The foods that people knew and relied on or used to go and get, uh, they could no longer go and, and get their, their native foods, which is just fundamental for survival, right? Mm -hmm. And so people had to adapt. But whether you were a fishing culture or a hunting and gathering culture or a farming culture, Something's happening to you that you cannot provide for your families and your people the way you used to. I'm not saying that everything fell apart all, all at once, mm -hmm. but over a period of time in the 19th century, early 20th century, especially here in California, people could not get to their foodstuffs. And then as you're, you're being relegated to reservations, you're expected to stay there. And if, if you leave your reservation, you're in jeopardy of being shot to death, mm. uh, being uh, exploited in some way, thrown into jail. Here in California, they used to do this a lot with uh, uh, indigent Indians who came into town and didn't have money in their pocket. And so they would be put in jail and then they were farmed out by the, by the county or by the city to go and work for X number of days. So it's, it's like slave labor. They, they would uh, do this to people. To me, it's so remarkable mm -hmm. that our, our people, our, our, our native people close to us are as healthy as they are given all that they have gone through mm -hmm. and that they don't carry the terrible bitterness that you could. Now, yeah. some people are, are continue that with the anger and the bitterness, but lots of people, especially elders, urge you not to do that to yourself, but rather uh, to be able to, to know that it existed and to be able to cope with it. But it's a, a level of coping that I think many of our, our uh, medical providers, healthcare providers do not understand. Mm -hmm. They don't understand that people carry this with them. And so um, they need to tread lightly and get to know people and, and maybe explore those, those kind of ideas with, well, what happened to your people? Why, why are you on reservations? When did that happen? Yeah. And, and uh, as, as, as we will learn uh, more about the treaties, but the, the treaties were, were never ratified and then our local people were never told in, in the, the treaties of 1851 and 52 because the Senate of the United States decided not to ratify them. Mm. And it made it much more easier for settler communities to move in and take their lands and resources, whether it's timber, uh, whether it's water, uh, land, um, you name it. And the people uh, lost out in a major way. And then it was 1905 all those years from 1851 and 52 to 1905 before California Indians realized they had no formal relationship through treaties with the United States. Wow. 
This is just um, unbelievable. Yeah. And this is uh, this is of course all before citizenship in 1924. Mm -hmm. Imagine Native Americans, the first peoples of the United States, were not recognized as as citizens. Mm -hmm. So it was much easier to to do things against them legally, mm -hmm. um, to take over land and resources. Uh, and to ignore Indian health, that, yeah. was, that was certainly not a major issue. Um, our agency here in Southern California, the Mission Indian Agency, was, was created in the 1870s through executive order uh, treaties or executive order reservations. And, and so um, the lands were put together, but not all Native people of California received executive order reservations. And this, this was an issue at the end of the 19th century when the Smiley brothers were living in Redlands and they were rich guys from the East, and, uh, but they were very interested in Native American affairs. Mm -hmm. and, the, and so they, they put a bill through Congress, the Mission Indian Act of 1890, 1891, that there would be a commission to go around Southern California and for those people who did not have reservations, they were going to recommend that the United States, that the presidents create reservations, however small for them. But in doing that, without permission, they reduced the acreage on other reservations so that the total amount of Indian land in 1890 remained basically the same. And so all of those executive orders were rewritten in 1890, 1895, 1897-98, um, but without consultation. So the tribes didn't know. And so often yeah. this happens in Native American history where things happen to them and they, they are unaware. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this affects their health yeah. to a great degree. Yes. You have um, allotment, 1887. Is that part of what you just described with the Smiley Ex Brothers? Exactly. Uh -huh. um, the, um, the United States first created the reservation system. The first modern reservation was here in California at Fort Tejon, uh, on the other side of the grapevine there, a very large piece of land there. And it was sort of a successful failure. That reservation failed as an experiment, but the concept of creating certain lands to place Indians on, and that that would be, you know, like, that's your place, stay there. Um, and it, the size of the reservation differed from place to place, uh, depending on, lots of times, on resources. Are these resources that uh, non-Indians want, mm -hmm. or are, is this kind of garbage land out there in the middle of nowhere? But our, our tribes um, have no treaty reservations in California. California. They're mm -hmm. all executive order. Okay. And, then, um, and the state of California has recognized some of the tribes as well. But the lands that the people once owned, that they could call their own and used, mm -hmm. were, were vast areas uh, of mountain ranges, of high desert area, of the low desert area, of our valleys here, and coastal regions. But the people lost a, a great deal as, as a result of, of these uh, treaties. And people started starving to death. People moved into towns to work or onto ranches to, to find work. But they were, um, uh, there was a diaspora as a result of this, and it was detrimental to the, to the tribal people. But let me, uh, let me share that in, in the early uh, 20th century, there was minimal health care for Native Americans in Southern California. Mm -hmm. 
in the, in the 1890s, there was one medical doctor for all of Southern California for the Mission Indian Agency. One doctor mm-hmm. who would, in a wagon, would travel from reservation to reservation and have supplies, and he would often uh, share the supplies with tribal leaders or with uh, school teachers teaching on the reservation, so to help the people as they needed it. But imagine for all the thousands of Indian people, uh, over 3,000 people, um, having one doctor. So, of course, that's not medical health care. And in the early 20th century, there was a little uh, care about this because Indians were banishing people. But that's not what happened, and people survived. A major change occurred in the 1920s. Uh, because of Herbert uh, Wood. He was a medical doctor and the Secretary of uh, Interior. And he had served in the United States Army during World War I. And when he became Secretary of Interior and would travel around and see Native uh, communities and take a look at Indian health, he he realized the United States has failed the people miserably. Mm. So, So what can we do? And, and he decided on a few things. The first thing he did is, is that he had worked with uh, highly trained, college-educated nurses uh, in the, in, during World War I and was much impressed with the work of, uh, they were all females, all female nurses. And so he decided we, we need to see, uh, have an experiment about uh, having nurses on two reservations. So they placed Eleanor Gregg on two Lakota reservations between 1922 and 1924. And then another nurse put on Hickory Apache. Mm-hmm. And they did such excellent work up there, working with uh, some medical doctors, that, um, uh, that the, the Bureau of Indian Affairs decided to expand the nursing program yeah. and begin creating a core of uh, college-educated educa- nurses who were willing to go to the reservation as field nurses to be uh, traveling from house to house to house and offer programs and to schools as well. And our first field nurse was at Morongo, who arrived in 1928, Florence McClintock. Mm -hmm. She was the first of many. But they did a tremendous job. And they were in everybody's homes. Mm. And the oral interviews I've taken with people who remember the the nurses Uh or whose parents or grandparents remember them say very positive things, that they were there for all the right reasons to help the people and improve Indian health. I have all the death records of Southern California Mission mm-hmm. Indian Agency from 1922 to 1948, and there was a tremendous drop in the number of deaths resulting from infectious disease, mm-hmm. including tuberculosis. The concern I have was this, you know, after this very positive story of a hospital and doctors and nurses and Indian communities working together in the 1920s and the 1930s, 1940s. It all fell apart because of federal legislation. Uh-huh. In, the, in the late uh, 1940s, after World War II, the Republican Party took over the Congress and with the, the slogan of had enough, mm-hmm. had enough of this socialism that's going on, and they started shrinking the, the budget for Indian health. Yeah. So badly through termination. Termination was to get rid of Indian tribes. Let's just let's just pretend that there we never had Indian reservations and the United States has no obligation to help the people at all. And so uh, so there it's all going to drop. So the United States, they closed the Sobamba Hospital, 
they fired all of the field nurses, they fired all of the doctors, and there was no Indian health in Southern California after 1948. If you were a Native person in our area, you had to go to the county for help. You might go to the hospital at Sherman Indian School, the Sherman Institute, um, or you might ask for help pro bono from doctors. But a lot of people have told me we had to go to our own doctor and we paid for it. We, we, we had no Indian health. And so that's interesting to me also because it gives rise in the 19, late 60s, early 70s to our people deciding, by golly, they'll take it upon themselves and create Indian health. Mm-hmm. So there was a clinic at uh, Saboba, one in North County, San Diego, and then South County, San Diego as well. But the, the people took it upon themselves to create their own medicine which is what we see today. Yeah. It's not the Indian Health Service here. It is the mm-hmm. people controlling their own Indian health. Yeah, which is powerful. It's so powerful, powerful to me. Mm-hmm. So that was an amazing conversation with Dr. Cliff Trafser. Uh, if you want to hear more, that our conversation was actually a little over an hour, so we'll have the whole conversation on our website. So Wyatt's here with me again, and we just wanted to talk about some take-homes. So... What were some of the takeaways that you had after listening to Dr. Trafser's conversation? I thought the whole conversation was great. One of the main things that I took away was just how important it is and how big of a deal it was to be taken away from the land and this idea of taking away the whole culture, basically. Native Americans weren't given access to their traditional foods, their medicine, And this affected their song and their geography. It affected everything, really, for them. It's really transformative. And so when I was thinking about what Cliff was sharing, you know, so much of what he was talking about and being taken away and the economic competition that you brought up, so much of it is about taking people and forcing them to live in a specific spot, right? So that takes away any of the economic competition that might occur in any geographical space. And so taking people and forcing them to live in a single space, whether it's the missions or reservations or boarding schools, like people roam around, they live, they gather, they do all these things. And all of a sudden, they're being told to stay within a specific area and not engage in what they used to. So that leads to um, a lot of the intergenerational trauma. Yeah, and and these areas, you know, were obviously areas that were unwanted. You know, they weren't areas of great sustenance where they had rivers and foods. You know, it was oftentimes areas that the U.S. thought, oh, we don't really need this. There's not really much here for it, so let's put the Indians on it. Mm, Yeah, yeah. And then so you think about when people come into the clinic, and I really loved how Cliff shared this, there's a level of coping that their patients are having that Native Americans have when they come into the clinic uh, that they're having to deal with and that the healthcare providers don't quite understand that sometimes. And so reminding us that this is happening and it it affects um, everyone's health and well-being. Yeah, I remember Cliff mentioning this concept of blood memory, that this trauma has been passed through blood generation after generation, and people are still dealing with it today. People are still facing the same traumas that their ancestors were facing due to the Termination Act, due to being displaced. Going back to Duran Duran and and the six phases, I think Cliff's podcast is really getting at number two, which is economic competition, loss of environment, 
ways of gathering food for physical sustenance and relationships with the environment that provides spiritual sustenance. And Cliff talks a lot about the Indian Termination Act, which was in 1953, where it was intended to assimilate the Native American as individuals to, into mainstream Western culture. And it it was horrible. It was a horrible time for them all because it was hard to, to make that shift. Yeah. And the Termination Act and Reli- Relocation Act, so th- as you said, that was like 1953 through 1969, moving people onto the reservations, and then all of a sudden deciding, like, we don't want to do this anymore. Just saying, okay, everyone needs to move out of the reservations or out of the area that you're in, and we're not going to support health care anymore. And for California, that was a huge thing. Actually, California did a pretty good job of implementing the Termination Act. As Cliff mentioned, With we used to have a hospital in Saboba, and because of that act, it's no longer there. So that really transforms the way that people can access health care and things that had been signed into treaty in the beginning. And so despite that, people are still strong and moving forward. And I like the way that he ended in thinking about, you know, how the tribes have collaborated to improve the health of their population. That's resilience. Mm-hmm. And like he said, powerful. Aloha for listening to Historical Wisdom. We trust that it will help you as you care for yourself and others. Additional wisdom and references about historical trauma and complete interviews can be found on our website, gogm.live. Aloha to Sean Milanovic for sharing the opening and closing bird songs. The podcast was produced by Juliet McMullen and our Chihun Pionk Inach Steering Committee and edited by Catherine Rodriguez and Wyatt Kelly. Content was developed in conversations with community members and our Chihun Pionk Inach Steering Committee that include Sherry Salgado, Luella Thornton, Julie Andrews, Holly Bronner, Veronica Espinoza, Donnell John, Michelle Opsal, Gina Hughes, Catherine Rodriguez, Ann Cheney, Kendall Shumway, Wyatt Kelly, Sean Milanovic, Amanda Marquez, Lorene Sisqua, Clifford Trafster, and Jackie Wise Spirit. The Historical Wisdom Podcast is funded through an engagement award from the Patient-Centered Outcomes Research Institute. Aloha from the Chihun Piyonk Inach Project, www.gogm.live. <laughs> Hey, Matina, ha, mi, ya, we, ka, ha, ya, we, ka, we, ka.